church. If you will take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. You know, here's one of tonight's message is one of the reasons that I believe in preaching through the book, through the Bible, verse by verse. Because this is not a passage that I would just land on. This is not a message that I would just deliver. One of the reasons preachers go verse by verse is because we need to hear the whole counsel of God, the parts we like, our pet parts, the parts we don't like, and we need to learn from it. And tonight, I guess, will be a little learning time. Help us to um, help us to help ourselves as well as others. A message entitled "An Encounter with the Hypocrites." This is a message from the life of Jesus. If you will stand and let's read. 23 verses, verses 1 through 23, chapter 7 of Mark. Listen and follow along intently, for this is indeed God's holy word. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees... In fact, all the Jews would not, will not eat unless they wash their hands ritually, keeping the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, jugs, copper, utensils, and dining couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ritually unclean hands? He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching doctrines, excuse me, teaching as doctrines the command of men. Disregarding the command of God, you keep the tradition of men. He also said to them, You completely invalidate God's command in order to maintain your traditions. Now, in my translation, there's an exclamation point right there. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say... If a man tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift committed to the temple, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You revoke God's word by your traditions that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. Someone in the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. When he went, up, when he went into the house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a man from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. As a result, he made all foods clean. Then he said, what comes out of a person, excuse me, what comes out of a person that defiles him. 
For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulterers, adulteries, greed, evil action, deceit, lewdness, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Is anybody tired? That's a pretty exhaustive list. And then he concludes by saying, All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Even even when it doesn't say what we'd like it to say, even when it does say things that are hard for us to understand, I pray that tonight that you will just peer into us a little bit Teach us those things that we need to know. And, Father, if there be a hypocritical way in any of us, I pray that you will reveal it to us and call us to repent of it, that we can be clean before you, that we can walk in your spirit and your love every day. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've called this tonight an encounter with the hypocrites. I know that would be a... That would be a game-winning title, wouldn't it? Everybody just kind of looking forward to it. You see, every day we encounter different types of people. I mean, short, short, tall, thin, fat, black, white, red, yellow, poor, rich, even authentic people and pretend people. I say that because Jesus met the same type of people, and he is on record time and again Jesus saw the multitude as diverse as they were, and he felt compassion for them because he knew that most people were like sheep without a shepherd. And that picture seemed to always strike a chord, a note in the heart of Jesus because he loved people dearly. He came for people. He died for people. Very seldom do we see our Lord losing his patience with people. Because he loved them so deeply. I mean, he came to the sick and he healed them. He, came, he reached out to the lepers and he loved them. And he wept over an entire city, Jerusalem, because of their lostness. He extended grace. He extended mercy. He extended to love to all, or so it seems. But there was one group of people, both then and now, There's one group of people which from my reading of his word, Jesus seems to have little patience for and no toleration of. Scripture calls them what we've come to know as Pharisees, but Jesus called them hypocrites. Like that word? I didn't think so. You see, hypocrites are those folks who... um, who are the pretenders? Scripture word, Greek word means mimic, means counterfeit. It means fake. It means the people who, whose walk don't match their talk, whose public persona doesn't match their private devotion. In today's terms, that hypocrite is the folks who live one way on a Sunday and another way Monday through Saturday. For some reason, and I have my guesses, 
This group seems to evoke the ire of Jesus worse than anyone or anything else. For Jesus, he looked at the scribes, he looked at the Sadducees, he looked at the Pharisees, and they were the ones that he had no problem in calling a hypocrite. Now, you do understand that the group I've just mentioned, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, those were the religious people of the day. Those were the ones that wouldn't miss church. Those were the teachers. Those were the leaders. Those were the, uh, uh, the holy ones. But Jesus saw through the facade of the religious people, and he had a little patience. You go, Brother Jerry, can you prove that? Well, actually, I can. I didn't think you'd ever ask. Just to give you one little, if you want to look at it, just to give you one little, for instance, you can turn to Matthew 23. Now, the last part of Matthew 22 tells us these religious types were trying to cross Jesus up on a number of things. They were trying to impugn his character. They were trying to embarrass him in front of the crowd. They were trying to get people to, to in chapter 22, they are trying to get people not to respect him and not follow him. And then chapter 3 opens, and we can already sense the tension. It says that Jesus spoke to the crowd and to the disciples. Now, the, the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the crowds all there. And this is what he said. The scribes and Pharisees. And I can see our Lord point his finger at them because he, didn't have, he does not have a problem putting fact where it is. We don't like people to do that today, but he had no problem doing it. He said the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. That means the high and lifted up place. You can go back in the Old Testament and you see about the chair of Moses. And he continues his rebuke. Let's pick up in verse 3. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be observed by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. Let me pause there because some people don't know what that's talking about. These religious leaders would literally wear robes that were supposed to make them holy. And the tassels that they have, however long they were, was a symbol of how holy they were. So their phylacteries and their tassels were an indication of how holy they thought they were. Now let's continue. Verse 6, they love the places of, place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, to be um, to be called rabbi by people. Now, he's not through. Let me just let me just skip down. Skip down to verse uh, thirteen. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Verse fifteen. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Verse sixteen. Woe to you, blind guides! Verse 17, he calls them blind fools. 19, he calls them just simply blind. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 33, he raises it at another level. He says, snakes, brood of vipers. Can I just... Can I just make the case that Jesus had little patience for the pretenders? 
I mean, it's safe to say that he had and has little patience with hypocrites, the pretenders. He has less patience with them than he has any other group of people. Now, Brother Jerry, are you, going, are you standing up here to call all of us hypocrites? Well, no, I'm not. In fact, let me just go on record and say it this way. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. Nobody. I mean, if you ever ask somebody, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd like to be a hypocrite. No, you know, we live our life, and we live our life attending to, to say what, to do what we say and to say what we do, and, and what we do comes out of what we believe, and we all know, you've heard me say it dozens of times these eight years, we do what we believe, and the rest is just a whole bunch of talk. <coughs> Every person I've encountered in my life intends to be an authentic person strives to be a real, a genuine person because no one really wants to be a hypocrite. But I will say to you that, back to Mark chapter 7, I will say to you that I believe that the reason the Bible has so much contrast struck between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the reason that contrast is so big it's because I believe that God looked down the timeline of history and he looked into the 21st century and he saw the, this thing called easy believism in the church of the 21st century. And it's this type of system. Oh, you just pray a prayer. You don't have to really do anything. You just pray a prayer. You don't really have to do anything. Just pray a prayer and you're saved. Here's what I'm going to tell you. It does take the prayer, but it's a change of life. And if there's no change of life, there is no salvation. I don't care who you are. And I believe God looked down the timeline. And oh, by the way, it's not even in my notes, but it is further on down. By the way, you know how mad he made the Pharisees at him, don't you? Ultimately, they're the ones in the crowd, getting the crowd, holler, crucify him. And they got Jesus put to death. The hypocrites. In the context of this story, we see Jesus encountering this group he calls hypocrites. So let's unpack this thing with a hypocrite. Let's just, let's just look at three or four things that deal with a hypocrite, and you're going to hate that word after tonight. I hated it before tonight, so there you go, okay? Let's look, first of all, at the emphasis of a, of a hypocrite. We can learn it from their life. The em- emphasis of a hypocrite. Go ahead, Jamie. All right, it's one of those things. One mark of a hypocrite is seen in their focus. What is it that hypocrites focus on? Here's what I will tell you. First of all, they major on minors. I don't care whether it's the first century. I don't care whether it's the 21st century. When you look here in verse 1, they, they had come all the way up from Jerusalem to where Jesus was for the purpose of finding fault. Don't you love that? People are finding fault back in that day. Religious people finding fault back. I mean, here Jesus is trying to do eternal business, trying to save souls from hell, trying to turn people to the Father, and they're fussing over hand-washing of all things. 
You see, I'm convinced of something. I'm convinced that ceremony was not the way of Jesus. He was a very practical, very purposeful man. He lived a very purpose-driven life. And he allowed nothing minor to distract him off of his life's journey and purpose. The Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the hypocrites, the religionists, major or minor things. Modern-day example of people who major on the temporal things are those who get all up in the air about the buildings. You know, I, I think probably the worst thing that happened to Christianity is when Constantine, that pagan ruler who was supposed to come to know Christ, and he had all the church, all the Christians put into buildings. Those were the pagan buildings where they used to, where they used to worship pagan gods. He put all the church in the buildings. And I'm convinced that was an act of Satan. Because before then, you couldn't contain the church, and now it seems the buildings hold the church. For the modern day, the buildings are just the, minor, the color of the carpet, the flowers. People get all up in the air about all these things, and watch this. And they're apathetic about the lost. They're apathetic about the things of God. They're apathetic about who's hurting them. They're apathetic about their place in ministry. I can take you to a congregation right now. Where? The church voted to replace their pews with chairs. And when I say that, people are, you know what? It don't matter. It don't matter. Matters to me. Well, that's right. Major on minors. In fact, one family said, one man was heard to say, I will not worship sitting in a chair. And you turn around behind the preacher and all the choir was sitting in chairs. And you know what? Here's what I want to say to you is that when, when that becomes the truth, when, that, when Satan accomplishes that in a person's life, he's won a battle. Because the hypocrites major on the minors. The second thing they do, the, the, the hypocrite focuses on external things over eternal things. You know, for the Pharisee or the hypocrite, their appearance is everything. What people think is everything. And in the, in the days of Jesus, this took on a new life. Because, you see, in the days of Jesus, there were specific times every day where you were supposed to bow, get on your knees and bow and pray. And here was a strike at those guys because the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes of that day, they would make sure that when it was that time of day when they were supposed to drop to their knees and pray that they were in public so everybody could see how holy they were, that everybody could witness their righteousness. I just say, I just suggest to you that the modern day focus of that is when people put on one face at church around a particular group of people in a, in a particular building and another day and another face when they leave the building. You know, that's actually what the word hypocrite in the Bible means. It means mimic, it means actor, it means wear a mask because that's where it came from in the stage. You hypocrites, you wore a mask so nobody could see what you really looked like. It's been said that you know you can know what you are by what you think and do when you're alone and in private. 
Somebody said to me one time, for all you traveling people, somebody said to me one time, you can tell what you are by what you do in a hotel in a town where nobody knows you. I'm not picking on David. I wouldn't say David's this, but I will tell you that recently we, it was talked that there was a youth minister, student minister's con- convention at a hotel, and they sold more triple X rated adult movies that weekend than they had ever sold before. Now, before you point your finger at the uh, youth ministers, student ministers, as, as horrible as that is, I would bet we've got three fingers pointing back at us about something that we don't think is so bad. You see, when you major on the external, you major on the external, you know how to hide the stuff in your life. You do the good stuff in front of the crowd. Jesus said you do that, you got your reward already. I major on minors. External over eternal. I, I read all of this right in this. And number three, they major on tradition over truth. Boy, when, every time you hear Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he's talking about this thing of tradition. Tradition is a big thing for the Pharisee, for the hypocrite. When I read the words of Jesus, it, it's always caused me to shy away from tradition. And yet, in our culture today, we have 80, 90% of our churches. Jerry, you, can probably, you could probably give me more updated because I've not read anything in the last 12, 14 months. 60, 70, 80, 90% of our churches are plateaued and declining because their folks seem to be focusing on traditions, little, having little kingdom impact. They're not discipling anybody, not reaching anybody, not winning anybody because they're unwilling to turn from their traditionalism. Now, you know what traditionalism is. I read this the other day. Tradition is the living faith of those now dead. Ism is the dead faith of those now living. And the crowd that Jesus was encountering had taken the living faith of a Moses and an Abraham and a a David and an Elijah and had killed it by adding their own traditions. I suggest to you as I read this text, what jumps out at me is that the emphasis of a hypocrite will kill the spirit of a church every time. And let us never forget that Jesus is the creator of the church. Jesus is the owner of the church. Jesus is the designer of the church. And as, as such, he brought fresh, he brought new spirit, he brought a new dimension and a new life into every place he came in. And every time the hypocrite came into his presence, he called their hand. The emphasis of the hypocrite. Second thing is the essence of a hypocrite. What is the essence of the hypocrite? And I find verses 6 and 7 to be very revealing of the hypocrite. If I read 6 and 7, they read like this. He answered them, answered the hypocrites, and he said, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. I suggest to you that I find four qualities that are the essence of the hypocrite. First of all, their word. Their word. 
Jesus said they honor me with their lips. This means they can talk a good game. This means they know the verses. This means they have the Sunday school answer. They know uh, uh, about things of the Lord. They know about Jesus. They know uh, about the Bible. They know about the Christian life. They know about the church. They know about programs. They know about the Constitution. They know about church history. And they even know about Jesus. But the rub is, they don't know Jesus. I mean, they can talk about Him all day long. And they talk about Him in the second or third person. Just like you could talk about... I want to say the President of the United States, but I don't even want to bring him up in this service. But, I mean, you can talk about Barack Obama or you can talk about Joe Biden or you can talk about any of our leaders because you know about them. Chances are we don't have anybody in this building that knows them personally. I mean, it it, it dawned on me as I read this and I I read these people honor me with their lips. They talk like they know them. You know what they sound to me like, Mike? sound like name droppers to me. Oh, you're talking about Jesus? Yeah. I go to that church. Yeah, I know what the Bible says. Yeah, I know how they do things. But you can't talk about, they can't talk about what Jesus does, what Jesus is, how he changes a life. They know the words. And then you move to the walk, their walk. The people honor me with their lips. That means they can talk a good game, but their heart is far from me. In other words, they like to talk about me, but they don't walk with me. Think about it this way. How do you feel when somebody says, I love you, but they won't take your phone calls? Or they say, I love you, and they won't go to lunch with you. Or they say, I love you, and they won't spend any time with you. Can I just ask, do you wonder if they really love you? I mean, is that a fair question? I mean, they can talk about you. They can tell everybody about you. But if they don't have time for you, do you kind of feel like that that old question, can you feel the love? And the answer is no. We do. We love and we follow what or who is in our hearts. So I ask you tonight, where is your Who has your heart? What is it that you love more than you love anything else? What is it that you'll remain true to no matter what happens? You better settle that question because it may be not be long before you have to really plant your life in the Lord if you're going to worship Him in this nation. And speaking of worship... That's the third essence. You you look at their worship here. It says, They worship me in vain. When he's only on your lips and when he is not in your heart, it affects your worship. I would like to say that again. When he is only on your lips and he is not in your heart, it affects your worship. 
when you're majoring on minors, when you're majoring on the external over the eternal, when you're majoring on tradition rather than truth, it affects your worship. You know, I don't, I really don't care to be offensive at this point, but it seems to me that the reason many people can sit quietly during a time when obviously God is moving His people to public worship is because of how this affects them. You go, wait a minute, Brother Jerry, I'm not put together that way. Well, let me just tell you about it. Worship in the Bible was never a sit and spectate sport. If you really want the truth, you go back to the Old Testament, you read about some of those times of the Lord, it's more like a party than it was a funeral. I was talking with somebody that was... I don't think it was you. I'm talking to somebody. Oh, John Bassanio. Was you? Were you and I talking about John the other day? Nope. I was talking with somebody the other day about a pastor, John Bassanio, pastor, First Baptist, Houston, Texas, and I love the word that he gave. He was at First First Southern Dell City, Oklahoma, and First Houston wanted him to come be their pastor. And I've told you this before. Chalk it up to my senility and let it work because it's not in my notes. You're getting it for free. I just love the story. He tells the story. He came down. He said, "I came down to look at this church." Said, and they were in their old building downtown at that time before they had relocated. And he said, we had this 2,500-seat auditorium. I got there on a Wednesday night and said there were 25 people in the worship center and they were singing, Day is dying in the West. Now, do you anybody remember that hymn besides me? A few of you, okay. Day is dying in the West. He said, well, I left there pretty depressed and I walked Next door, across the parking lot, and there was a little jewelry shop, and it was Christmas time, and there was lights and tinsel and bell, and Santa's heifers was going around helping everybody. And boy, it was just a wonderful place to be in. He said, he said, I walked back into the parking lot between First Baptist where they were singing, Day is dying in the West. And I looked over at the jewelry store where everybody was light and happy. He said, if both places had given an invitation, I would have joined the jewelry store. You see, it affects us how we worship. Isaiah wrote, and Jesus confirmed the truth, that for those who only talk and do not have him in their heart, their worship is in vain. It is empty. It is idle. There's no meaning to it. And for the hypocrite, worship becomes an endurance contest unless it pleases him. For the hypocrite, their worship starts and ends with themselves because, you see, they have no real desire to work, to do the Lord's work or for God to work in them. And I would just say this to us. Anytime we worship and there is not a divine object that would be our Heavenly Father, if there's no expectation of God doing something, Perhaps it's empty in vain, like it's talked about here. They worship me in vain. And then it affects their witness. It affects their word. They, worship, they talk about me. They honor me with their lips, their walk, but their heart's far from me. And, and their worship, they worship me in vain. And their witness that they teach as doctrine the commands of men. I want you to think about that. 
That sounds like our liberal philosophy, our liberal theology today. You see, what is it that they're witnessing to, Brother Jerry? Well, here, they're witnessing about God and His Word. And so what are they saying? These guys were taking the 600, over 600 laws that had been constructed by man from the Decalogue, that is, from the Ten Commandments, and they were teaching as truth, as doctrine, those 600 plus, 613 or so rabbinical laws. And that was the governing rule for the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and the Jews because of the way it had been taught as truth. We need to be very careful about what we teach as doctrine because most of the time we deal in preferences and philosophies as opposed to God's doctrine. I'm running out of time. I have a couple more things, so please stay with me. We see the emphasis. We see the essence. The third thing I see in this text in verses 8 through 10 is the evidence of the hypocrite. Verse 8 shows us that they, A, release the commandments of God. That they just turn them loose. It's, it's like a balloon with helium in it. They lay it aside. They turn it loose and it flows off. They, they just lay it aside. They let it go. They, they leave it. They ignore it. They neglect it. I really like how Dr. Peterson in the message. How many of you have a copy of the Message Bible? I just suggest to you, you buy it. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. Dr. Peterson was raising his kids and he... Uh, um, he wanted a translation that he could read to his little kids and understand, and so he did. And you know how he translates this? Where it says, uh, uh, disregarding the commands of God, he says, ditching the commands of God. You see, the group just turns loose. It doesn't matter anymore. It's a live and let live mentality. But may I just say this to you? You make no mistake. You can turn it loose. You can, you can do whatever you want to. You can ditch it. And it's still the truth. By the way, the truth is the truth no matter what we believe. I've been a good place for an amen. I'll say it again. I'll give you, I understand you're all gone to sleep. The truth is the truth. It doesn't matter what we believe. The, the, the hypocrite releases the commandment. And then he, like we talked this morning sometimes, replaces the commandment of God. You see, if you, if you read on through here, he disregarded it. And then... He completely invalidates God's command. I mean, if you look at verses 8 and 9, how it weaves through this indictment, what what you'll discover is you'll discover that they've chosen the tradition of man over the truth of God. And the Pharisees, the hypocrites, are masters at this. They knew the rabbinical law, and to them the rabbinical law was everything, and God's law was far less important. Today there are those who can tell you what Robert's Rules of Order is all about, but they can't even recite the Ten Commandments. The evidence for a hypocrite, they release the commandments of God. They replace the commandments of God. If they can't replace them, they'll simply rewrite them, revise them. They'll revise them. I mean, and you look at verses 10 and 11, it brings it into focus as he takes that one commandment of honoring your father and your mother and whoever speaks to your father and mother must be put to boy oops that may be a message for youth day whoever speaks evil of your father and mother must be put to death the commandment of moses but it's but you say now he's getting to what the man what the man has written you say 
If a man tells his father or mother whatever benefit you might have received from me, it's from God himself. That's basically what Corbin means. Then you're no longer to let him do anything for his father and mother. And you revoke God's Word. You see, what they're doing is they're taking the principles of God's Word and they're writing it in an up-to-date in an up-to-date way, this group feels like they know the culture, they know society, and they know people better, so they feel like they can adjust God's Word to fit the day. Man, are we talking about the first century or the 21st century? Last week's Alabama Baptist, did you see it? Two churches took their stand on homosexuality. One church right here in Birmingham decided God didn't know what he was talking about. Decided they would it'd be okay to have homosexuals in their church listed as among the believers. Another church made the stand that they were going to do it not according to popular opinion but according to God's word. Now I'm just going to say this. You can hate me I understand that through us, through our congregation, that many have been touched by this thing of homosexuality. But here's what I'm telling you. God says it's, God says it's a sin, and we don't get a vote. It doesn't matter if it's your child, your grandchild, your great-grandchild. It doesn't matter if it's your aunt, or your uncle, your mom, or your dad. Here's what I'm saying to you. If it was my dad... A sin is a sin, and I don't get a vote. I don't get a voice. God sets the rules. God writes the rules. God enforces the rules, and I can't revise them. It's kind of like, do you remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate, and Pilate, and Pilate went out, and uh, he had now washed his hands and sent Jesus off to be crucified, and he wrote this sign above the head, King of the Jews, and they came back, and they said, we want you to write... He said, and he said, what I've written, I have written. May I say this to us? God says to us about sin, what I have written, I have written. It's that simple. The evidence. The last thing is the examination of a hypocrite. Here's where the cheese kind of gets binding. I use the word examination because the only way for a per- sick person to get well is to have an examination. And a hypocrite is a spiritually sick person. Now, it's sad to say, but many or most hypocrites are like alcoholics who have trouble even admitting that they are in trouble, even in the face of enormous evidence. The Pharisees were highly offended at the teachings of Jesus. Can you blame them? I mean, I mean, he had pointed his finger at them and called them hypocrites. They, they were indeed so offended, as I said earlier, that they ultimately had him crucified. I mean, have you ever really given that thought? Church people had Jesus killed. Let me just say this as you examine, and I'll do it quickly, an examination of the hypocrite. First of all, it corrects. It corrects a faulty concept. When we read verses 9 and 10, we'll see, we'll see that the hypocrite has done two things that expose his, his concepts about life, about, and that is about God's people and about God's law. 
in order to have things his way, he attempts to completely invalidate the Word of God. Now, it says in verse 9, it says you completely invalidate God's command in order to maintain your tradition. Now, some translations say you have a fine way of doing this. Another one says you are expert at it. Another one says you're full well. That means you're really good at it. That's what the Greek word means. You're really good at invalidating the Word of God. You're, You're rejecting the Word of God and you're replacing the Word of God with your own desire, your own will, and your own philosophy. And we could, if I wanted to take some time, we could show this by... As they were writing their laws, they always wrote laws where Pharisees could find the loopholes, kind of like Congress, find the loopholes so it didn't apply to them. And I'll just say to you, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. Everybody comes the same way. People will say that it's unfair. I think the cross is incredibly fair. An examination corrects a faulty concept. Number two, it clarifies a flawed character. It clarifies a flawed character. If you look down in verses 20 through 23, you will see the flawed character. And what comes out of a person defiles him. For from within, out of one's heart. And this list is exhausting. It comes out of our hearts because we all have evil, sinful hearts. Evil comes first. Then an attitude comes in second. And that breeds an evil heart. And the character is formed and flawed. And, and you read this list and you go, good gracious, how do we get away from it? Here's what I'm going to say to you. God examines your heart. He clarifies your character because, you see, Jesus wants you to see who you are so he can come in with the, with the flame, the fire of the Holy Spirit and change our heart. You see, we're all infected with a disease. We're all infected with a disease of evil. And the infection has to be lanced with the knife of the grace of Jesus. When you examine, when you examine a hypocrite, it corrects, corrects a faulty concept. It clarifies a flawed character and compels, and it compels a fundamental change in life. Here it is. Are you ready? Jesus, in verse 18, looked at his disciples and he said, It's a question for us tonight. Are you also without or lacking in understanding? Are we lacking what God has called us to do and to be? You know, the the issue is not what goes into our ears or what goes into our body, but it's what comes out because what comes out of us comes out of our heart. And out of our heart will come the wickedness and the evilness and all form of ungodliness until we have a heart transplant. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Whether, whether we whether we are hypocrites or whether we're holy people is an issue of the heart.
Every time I will come to the passage like this, I can sit in my study and just think about what the restaurant, the Dairy Queen, the uh, Habanero Talk will be. Somebody will say, Ah, preacher thinks we're all hypocrites. He's the only holy one. Well, that's not the message at all tonight. The message for us tonight is this. Jesus knows. Jesus knows who's playing a game and who is really putting their shoulder to the spiritual plow. Jesus knows because he knows us to end from the beginning. And if he knows, he's exposed us. No matter who we are or what we've done, I like that video this morning where the person said, if you knew what I've done, you wouldn't want me. And the guy come back and said, if you knew what I've done, you wouldn't be concerned. Because you see, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. People say it's unfair Jesus is the only... You say Jesus is the only way. That's so fair. That's so narrow. Well, I think it's incredibly fair. And here's why. Everybody's invited. Everybody's welcome. And everybody comes the same way. Everybody's invited. Everybody's welcome. And everybody comes the same way. Let's pray.